All right. What's up, family? Everybody doing all right today? Come on. It's beautiful out. Whoa! Good to see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. It's a good thing because you can't sing at all. Come on. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I'm excited to get in the Word. How many of you guys appreciate the Word of God? Amen? Okay. I think 80% of you, we're making progress, so this is good. This is good. I feel encouraged. Uh, before we get into that, uh, I just want to pray over us, if you don't mind. Let's just pray together. Father, I, we just come before you. We're so thankful for your presence that's here. And Man, it, we never want to get too used to it. Um, we're blown away and humble that that you, is, as big as you are, all-knowing and, and powerful, that you, you humble yourself and you come and you hang out with people like me that are broken and, and messed up in so many ways. We thank you for your presence that's here. God, I just... I speak your peace that transcends our, our understanding over every family that's in this place. Uh, this last week, Lord, we're, we're, we've got so many things that are, that are coming at us right now from our culture and, and even from government and different things. And, and, and I know that it, it can put us in a place where we can be anxious and we can be fearful. And we know that those things are not from you. And, and just like the lyrics that are in so many of the songs that we were, we were singing this morning, Lord, we just declare those things that that you're on our side, that you've already won the war. We thank you, God, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We thank you, God, that our hope and trust is not in legislature. It's not in a government. Our hope and trust is in you, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we can rest in that. We thank you for your wisdom that you're going to give to our leadership locally, statewide, in our nation, We pray, Spirit of the living God, that you would continue to do your work in the hearts and minds of those men and women as they lead us. God, I pray for your protection in Jesus' name over our teachers and over our schools. We thank you, God, that as we live in a culture that is trying to redefine marriage and trying to redefine what young men and women are supposed to be, that your truth never wavers, that you never change, and that your truth is the fullness of holiness, grace, and love. We thank you, God, that we never have to compromise any of that. God, we thank you that we can move and we can change our method, but we never have to compromise your word. And we're going to hold tightly to that. We're going to hold tightly to everything that you've given us through your word. And we're going to live that truth out with love and with grace. I just thank you for that. Thanks for being here with us today. Have your way in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand. All right. Exciting times, exciting times. Year of the Bible, if you're new here, uh, we started a year-long series beginning of this year. We just wanted to read through the whole Bible together as a family. So we're doing that through one-year uh, reading plans and all that. Some of us through the Bible app and, and through our app. And then some of us just, we have bookmarks that kind of tell you what the reading is for every single day. So a lot of us are following along in that just to kind of tell you where we're at right now. Old Testament, things are getting cool. We're in First Samuel. And we're starting to hear about everything that happened with David and Saul and all this stuff. Last week we talked about Hannah, the difficulties that she was having and having a baby, had Samuel, dedicated him to the work of the Lord in God's house and all that was cool, but Israel's still a mess. Uh, the people are still in a place where they're not really following everything that God had set out for them and so it's creating some issues for them. The Philistines come in, steal the Ark of the Covenant and take that away. The people, God's people start calling out, crying out, give us a king. God's like, Really? You don't really want a king, do you really want a king? They got tired of being in a place there. They just think, man, it would be better to have a king than 
than to just hear from God. And so they say, give us the king. And so God says, all right, well, I'll give you what you think you want, even though you don't really want what you think you want. How many of us, that's happened in our lives before. And so they give him a king, this tall, handsome guy named Saul. Just by the way, for all you single ladies, sometimes the best looking guys are the biggest losers. And, uh, and, that, and that happens to happen with, with, with Saul. And it, it looks good at first, and then it goes bad. It goes south really quick. And I love this because so much of the story of David and his heart, and, and just what God did in him and through him. And this is like the foundation of, of so much of who I am uh, as, as a believer and, and just as a man. And, and it's established so much of my faith. And, and I believe that it can be the same for you. And if you haven't jumped in on this thing, man, this is a really, really good time to get involved with reading the word of God with us. Uh, there's some really cool stuff happening in the Old Testament. But today, I want to talk about the New Testament uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 8. Um, before I get to that, I, I want to get everybody involved. This is group discussion. This is not rhetorical, okay? So I just want to tell you what's getting ready to happen so you don't resist it. Uh, every once in a while, I ask you to participate. Like to raise your hand. And some of you are still, to this day, too stubborn to do it. And, and I want to let you know. I just want to let you know. Even if you were born and raised in a Presbyterian church, it is okay to raise your hand every once in a while in church. It is okay. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to participate. How many of you have ever been caught doing something wrong? There's still a couple of people not raising their hands in this place. And it's either because you're still being stubborn or you think you flew in here on angel's wings and perched yourself in your chair. And I, I'm praying for you because you're not going to have a whole lot of friends in life. But, um, but all of us, all of us have gotten caught at one point or another doing something that we shouldn't. How many of you ever been caught by a cop before doing something that you shouldn't be doing? We have a lot of police officers here. I can't verify it with them, just so you know. Uh, that's never a fun thing. Been caught in a speed trap ever before, something like that, where you just mind your own business, you know, just going down the highway, just trying to get somewhere, and 25 over, and, and, and next thing you know, your whole plan is ruined for the day, okay? All of us have been caught. When I was a, when I was a little kid, I, I was actually a pretty good kid. And, and you can Facebook my mom and ask her if this is true or not. But I was a pretty good kid. But I had this problem. If I was told not to touch something, and I wasn't told why, I really needed to touch it. So my mom had some mace on her keychain. And all she said was, don't touch it. Don't play with it. And I'm like, what is this amazing, mysterious thing? I must know. And so one morning, I got up early out of bed before anybody else was up, and I went and found my mom's keys. And, and, and was, they were hung up really high. I don't know why she kept them so high. And, and uh, stacked some chairs up and got up to it. And, you know, because uh, you know, I'm, I'm brilliant, obviously. So I figured out how to get a little child safety thing off of there. And. And, man, just let it loose all up in my face, all in my eyes. And I have this vivid memory, three years old, being bent over the kitchen sink with the sprayer. Just (laughs) did that twice. Uh, So (laughs) back to the whole brilliant thing. 
I was told not to touch something. I just had to touch it. Light sockets. Don't touch light sockets. I mean, light sockets seem to be this awesome things. I mean, you, you plug the TV into it. That's miraculous. Why could light sockets be? What is in a light socket that would not be good for me? I had to know. So I found some scissors. And uh, I knew better than to cut my own hair. (laughs) So I didn't do that. Thankfully, they had plastic handles. And I found a light socket and just jammed those things in there as far as I could. (laughs) It's beautiful. Like my own little private fireworks display right there in my bedroom. We're living in an apartment complex, and uh, it knocked out electricity in the whole place. Just the whole thing shut down. I'm like, oh, no. So I got the scissors and ran quickly and put them back in our junk drawer, kind of put them back behind some stuff, hoping. And, uh, but I was safe. Like nobody, and I, nobody caught me, you know. It wasn't any visual evidence around the plug. My mom come man, the whole lights are out everywhere. Oh, oh. <laughs> we should pay our bills. <laughs> the lights are out in the whole apartment complex. Everybody should pay their bills. <laughs> I thought I got away with it. A few days later, she went looking for the scissors, and she found them, melted. This, this <laughs> black and... We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all done things that were foolish and stupid. Even though we may not have realized just how stupid they were at the time, we justified it. Every single person in here at one point or another has fallen and made a mistake. The Bible is very clear on this. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if you say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So for anybody who didn't raise their hand, that one might be for you, just saying. Today we're going to look at a woman who got caught, embarrassed, just caught all up in the middle of her sin. A couple I knew, they, they were hosting a, a group of people, like hosting people. Cody and I love hosting people at our home as well. And, but they had a group of people at their house, and these people would not leave. Like it was getting late. And they, this family had young kids. They had a newborn. And, and so they're like, man, we're going to be up feeding. We got we to get to bed. We got to get some sleep. But they, so they started giving heads. You know, like, it's getting a little, what? Anybody else tired? <laughs> and these people are just like, this is great. Yeah, this is awesome. Chips and salsa. And then, uh, so they didn't want to leave. And they're just hanging out. And so finally, the husband and wife, they like went back into a room. And they're like, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know. Like, I've, I've been subtle. I've been direct. I've turned the heat up as high as it will go. I have started hiding food. I have done, I'm doing, I I don't know what else to do. They just won't leave. She's like, what is wrong with them? Don't they understand? They're not getting it. Are they dense? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, all we can do is go back out there and just try to keep giving hands and hopefully they'll leave. So they walk out of the bedroom and come out into the living room with everyone staring at them all huddled around this 
conversation being broadcast through the baby monitor. <laughs> it just so happened to be connected in their bedroom when they brought their newborn in there. Huh. I don't know what to do with my hands. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a terribly awkward, embarrassing situation. Man. I'm like the best at awkward social situations, at creating them is what I mean. Like, I'm really good at it. Anybody ever sent a really sexy text to your husband or wife through group text? Anybody ever did that? (laughs) Just me. (laughs) That's the truth that. Uh... This woman was caught, and she was embarrassed with nowhere to hide. But I love how Jesus handled her sin. There's a lot we can learn from it. John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back at the temple, temple courts, hanging out. And uh, this is just a a very social area. A lot of people would gather in this place. And uh, a crowd soon gathered, uh, probably not a huge crowd, not as big as the crowd as they'd normally been following around. It might have even been more like a small group or life group type size group of people. But as he's there, as he's teaching, the religious leaders, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught, caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Well, they're trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the, throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go, sin no more. Such an awesome story. Jesus is outside teaching and uh, hanging out with this group of people. And then here comes the... The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and they're all up in their headgear, and they got all their fancy robes and everything on. You know, it was really important that everyone knew just who they were and how much they knew. And they bring this woman in, and she says so she was caught in the act of adultery. So there's a chance, like, she's barely clothed, maybe just partially covered, just mortified completely humiliated beyond description. Now, just for the record, I don't know how it is where you came from, but where I came from, it takes two people to commit adultery. So one question I have is, where's the dude? Like, it kind of seems like a double standard, you know? Makes me wonder if maybe the dude was one of their buddies or something like that. I don't know. But he's not there, just this woman being humiliated. And, uh, and some of you have been caught in your sin. And you've been embarrassed. And some of you, when you've been caught in that place, you begin to tell yourself, man, my life's ruined. 
um, I, I can never live in this town, in this place, in this community ever again. No one's ever going to love me the same way ever again. I, I, I cannot ever be used by God now because of this. You just feel caught in your shame. The truth about shame is, is it's there a long time before you're caught. And shame grows in the dark and the secret. It just feels a lot worse when, when you're caught. But the shame is there, and we can assume this woman, she felt the shame way before she's been drugged before this group of people. She felt her shame. Look, most of us know how messed up we are. It's like we don't need someone to tell us about our shame or expose. We know it. We know it. And that's what consumes us. There's a few things I think we can learn about Jesus through this story. First of all, Jesus wants religion away from your life. Jesus wants religion away from your life because religion and shame always come together. And, and, and unfortunately, it's too many of us experience people with the word of God, but without the character of Christ. And when you have the word of God without the character of Christ, those types of people will always like to hover around to expose sin. Usually, they try to justify their own weakness in sin. But that is Religion. You could say that Jesus and the religious teachers had actually the same goal in mind, just with completely different approaches. See, their plan to keep her from sinning was to kill her. His plan was to forgive her. Totally different approaches, but the same goal. A lot of us live in that place. There's a man in our church, Pastor Rick was telling us about this last week. He called him up and he, he said, I got something big to confess. I, I, I want you to know I hate myself for this. I want you to know I love my wife and I love Jesus with all my heart. But, but for one reason or another, pretty much every single day, I look on my phone and I look at pornography on my phone almost every single day. Every single day. And I hate that about myself. And so Pastor Rick started walking him through, like, okay, well, how do we get you healed? How do we get you restored? But imagine, imagine if someone like that calls a church, calls me, calls a leader, confesses these things, and this is the response. Okay. All right, well, this is what we're going to do. We need you to come up to the church, and we're going to call everybody in. And um, you're going to come up on stage, and you're going to tell everybody exactly what you did. And then we're going to stone you. <laughs> Welcome to the body of Christ. <laughs> but you know, that's, that's how a lot of people feel. Look, I don't know what your sin is. Your sin may not be sexual sin. It may be overspending, overeating, oversleeping. It may be just your temper. You keep blowing up at your kids and at your family. You hate it. You walk in and you know it's just your own frustration about your day or whatever, but you just unload. So you feel guilty and you feel shameful about it, but three days later, you walk in, something else sets you off. You're yelling and screaming at them. You feel horrible in your own shame, condemning yourself. Your sin may be stealing. It may be drug addiction. It could just be slothfulness. All of us have something. 
Maybe you have something in your life where when it first started, you, you thought that you were in control and it wasn't a big deal, but now it consumes you like an eating disorder, bulimia, anorexia. And, and, but you're, you're trapped in the sin of that. Maybe the issue was something that someone else did to you and you were abused or you were molested. And so your religious approach to that happening to you causes you to condemn yourself. I must have deserved that. I must have done something wrong to, for that to happen to me. I'm dirty. I'm shameful. I did bad. I am bad. And because God is good, he must be finished with me. Look. Religious control with no compassion hurts other people, but it also hurts you. So uh, in talking about this religious spirit, I had a lady come up to me on so she's like, we talked about this struggle with the religious spirit, but you didn't, what, I've struggled with that. What do I do? Let me tell you what I did for me. Because for a long time, really up until just a few years ago, I was dealing with a religious spirit and I didn't even realize it. I was just critical. Here's the thing. I had all this, this grace and love and forgiveness for people that were lost and didn't know any better. And then I had a lot of grace and love and compassion for people that were walking the walk. I do it, but it was everyone in between. Mm, drove me crazy. And so I got critical about it. And what I had to be, what I had to realize, what had to be pointed out to me was that there came a point in my life where I felt abandoned and mistreated, so I felt like I needed to protect myself. And because I needed to protect myself, me being critical and judgmental towards other people is the way that I protected my own weakness and my own frailty. And so I had to wake up and begin to confess my utter dependency on the grace of God every day. I spoke it over myself. I say a few different things every single morning, pretty much every single morning. But for a season, I would wake up and I would say this, and this may sound weird to you, but this is the way I believe that God sees us. I would say, I am grace. And so I walk in the fullness of grace for every person, for whatever reason, because God sees me as he sees his son, Jesus, and Jesus is grace. And so he sees me as grace. I am grace. And so I extend grace. I'm going to walk in that. These guys were trying to trap Jesus with old covenant law. It says in verse six, they tried to trap him by saying something that he could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and began to write with his finger. I want you to picture this woman is in full shame, barely clothed, and they're like, hey, should we stone? And Jesus doesn't say a thing. He just kneels down, starts writing in the dust. And here's the thing. We don't know what he was writing. We would love to know what he was writing. But one of the reasons why we want to know what he was writing is because we like to know about people's sin. And not even the people that wrote the books know what Jesus is right. Jesus could have just as easily have stood up, started pointing at each one of these guys, calling them out by name and telling me exactly the reason why they had no right to judge this woman. He could have done that. He was even covering and protecting the religious people. That is the grace of God. The grace of God is even the people that deserve to know exactly how jacked up they are in their thinking. That Jesus is like, okay, you don't get this. 
but this is who you lusted after. And this is the sin that you committed. But we don't know. We know a little bit more about it than we usually teach, though, because in the original language, when it says that he, to write down, to write down something, there's two Greek words that, are, that, that translate to that. One is the word graphene, which means to write down. The other word is katagraphene. Okay, katagraphene means to write down against. That is a word that is used in the original language. So Jesus is more than likely writing down something that is against these guys. And so as he starts writing this thing, they start seeing it, but then they're getting even more insistent. Now they're really paranoid. Because religion does that. makes you paranoid. And he stands up and he says, well, I mean, if you've never sinned, then go for it. And I love this picture. It says, one at a time, they begin to leave, starting with the oldest ones, okay? Why? Because the longer you're a Christian and you're religious, the worse your religious spirit gets. Look, wine ages well and cheese ages well. Religion does not age well. It stinks. And the older guys, I think they were mad, frustrated in their own place of religion. Every once in a while, I see this happening in very practical ways around me. Oh, man, Sam's already coming. I'm running out of time. I hate that. Okay. Okay, here's like a real-life situation where I see this all the time in the gym. Okay, I've talked about this before. You ever notice like somebody will make a New Year's resolution, whatever, so they start going to the gym. Well, when they show up, like they can't breathe. They haven't, they haven't, they haven't done anything but walk like to their car for decades. And, and so they're in there, but they start doing it. A couple weeks in, they start feeling a little good, you know, all right? I talked about last week, men are, you know, start looking at themselves in the mirror, sucking in that gut, you know. It's like, yeah, two weeks into it. Well, then right around that time, somebody else walks in the gym that hadn't been in the gym in like 20 years. And they're looking at them like, slob. I'm glad you're here. You need it. You've been there two weeks. Well, the same thing can happen with your walk with God. You get saved. And you immediately begin to forget everything that he saved you from. And that's all Jesus is doing. All Jesus is doing is just saying, Don't forget the grace that you've been given. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. You have, and that's why you're religious. Man, I've lived with that before. We can easily have the same righteous attitude as the Pharisees did. Number two, Jesus wants forgiveness to be in the middle of your life. When the accusers heard this, they slipped out one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I love how Jesus will remove everything in our lives to get into the middle of our lives. And when Jesus gets that place, Jesus is trying to get the religious people away so that this woman can experience forgiveness. And that's the exact same thing he's trying to do in our hearts. He's trying to get our own religion out of our hearts so we can experience his forgiveness. He wants forgiveness to be in the middle of our lives. And you know what? In the Bible Belt, this is really tough because there's a major religious spirit that is around us. And people walk into church and they're like, man, I know what church is supposed to look like. That preacher isn't even wearing a suit. He must be in sin. What's wrong with him? And they don't even have a choir. They don't know how church should be done. And when they do have a choir, they don't wear robes. In 
And so they're so trapped up in that that guess what? You're not experiencing God's grace and forgiveness. You can't see it. There's no way you can see it. You, you have to experience his forgiveness to walk in grace and forgiveness. You cannot give what you do not have. He wants to give it to you. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Well, neither do I. I want you to know she confessed him right there in that moment. Did you see that? No, Lord. Well, I, I don't condemn you either. She had a revelation of who this was, his authority to forgive her, but only as her Lord. Only as her Lord. Look, if he would have come to her and said, you trashy, skanky woman, what is wrong with you? Yeah, you are you're jacked up. What? You're lucky I was here today. Oh, man, I'm just, all right, go live different. <laughs> I'm convinced if he would have approached it that way, she would have went right back into the same sin. But that's not what he did. This is what it says in Luke 178. A new day. Everybody say a new day. A new day will dawn on us because of our God, because our God is loving and merciful. I'm so thankful that God is a merciful God. He's loving. He's merciful. And I just want to tell you that the more you understand about God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, your stress will decrease. Your peace will increase. Your frustration will diminish. Your satisfaction will be completed. The more you can walk in this place of understanding when you understand God's view of your sin. The last thing is, is Jesus wants sin to live your life. Jesus definitely wants sin. He wants sin out of your life, but not because the sin is bad, but because the sin destroys your view of him. Because your sin destroys your identity in him. God hates sin because of what it does to his kids, not because he just hates sin. He hates that it messes up with who we are, who he called us to be. He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Look, when he said this, it wasn't like, go and sin no more. It was more like, you've experienced forgiveness, so you can go and sin no more. I'm convinced she never went back to the bondage of adultery. Because when you experience true forgiveness, it breaks the cycle of sin. It's not, not to say you won't have other mistakes and other things you struggle with, but, but if there's something that controls your life and dominates your life, when you experience his forgiveness, it changes things. Look, the Pharisees did not care about this woman. Not at all. They're trying to trap him. Should we stone him? Well, he, he, he's at this spot because if he says, no, you shouldn't stone her, then he's breaking the law. But if he says, Stoner, then his reputation of grace and mercy is destroyed. And this is exactly the position that the enemy through our culture is trying to put us in right now. Where, where he's trying to put us is in this place where unless we completely agree with and support every decision and every lifestyle that anybody wants around us, if we don't agree with it and we don't support it, 
then we are hating throne stowers or stone throwers. Sorry, sometimes I words up my mix. Uh, that's where it puts us. But here's the thing. The balance of who God is, is holy and uncompromising. But the perfect balance of grace and love and mercy. And that is what he has for us. And that is what he has called us to extend. Jesus didn't compromise who he was. He didn't compromise who he was. He didn't compromise his word. He says, woman, woman. Okay, now this is not like, woman, don't make me a sandwich. Okay, not that kind of woman. Men don't use that. In the original language, this is more like, sister. Sister, I love you. I just want you to see yourself the way I see you. You you got a picture of it today because you got a picture of it. You can go and sin no more. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. I just want to pray for anybody that's just in a place of bondage in their sin. Uh, And I'm not going to embarrass you. And I don't want anybody looking around because I don't want you to see somebody raise their hand and be like, oh, I wonder what they're dealing with. I wonder what that is. Or I know what that is. Avoid that religious spirit. Maybe you need to raise your hand because you have a religious spirit. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of habitual sin that is secret that you haven't been able to confess to anybody. You're struggling with with pornography, the lust of that. You're struggling with addiction of some kind, whether it's alcohol or drugs or... I, I don't know what it is, but it controls you. It consumes you. It drives your life. Or maybe you just struggle with just looking at other people and their sin and judging it because you haven't truly experienced his love and forgiveness in your own life. Both of those people, what God has is his grace and his mercy available to you if you're willing to accept it. If that's you in this room, would you just put your hand up? I want to pray for you. I want to make sure that you have a chance to get set free of this. Come on, even just raising your hand, I believe that God's grace is going to come on you. You're going to experience more of who he is just by being honest before him. Okay, Father God, over every person that just raised their hand, I don't know what the issue is. I don't know what's going on, but I pray in the name of Jesus that right now, just like Jesus came close to that woman, I thank you that you are near to them. And that in that place, when they experience the kind of love and forgiveness that comes through Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they can go and sin no more. They can go and judge no more. They can be completely set free from a religious judgmental spirit. They can be completely set free from the bondage of habitual sin. I thank you for that. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would speak to them in a personal way. If you're here, you've never committed, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. If that's you, just put your hand up right now all over this room. I need to confess God as my Lord, as my Savior. Any person in this room, thanks, got it. As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Okay, thanks. I got you there at the back. Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? Thanks, man. I know I just, I need to, I need to, I need to give God my life. I need to give Jesus control of my life. Anybody else? Father God, for those few people that raise their hand, I thank you they can have that's an honest conversation. You just say a prayer like this. Say, God, I know I've sinned. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I believe in faith, and I ask that you would be my Lord. I give you complete control. I don't want to live the way I've always lived. I don't want to go back to living that way or the way the world lives. I'm going to live according to your will, your plan, your plan and purpose.
your word, God. Let it be established. Let me grow in an understanding of it in my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my best friend. I want to live for you forever. I thank you for every person that made that decision, Lord. God, we need your grace. We need your love. We need it more now than we ever have as we live in a dark world. Lead us by your spirit and word and what it means, how to walk in the freedom of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand if you're thankful for his word. Let's all stand. Worship God.